I don't know if you've noticed, but Father's Day is not a, it's not as big a deal as Mother's Day. Florist shops uh, don't have as much business. Hallmark cards don't sell as many cards. Uh, church attendance doesn't skyrocket. Father's Day doesn't seem to be that big a deal, at least not as much as Mother's Day is. I've, I guess for better part of a decade, cast kind of a keen eye toward our pop culture and how dads are portrayed in our society. There's a reality I've kind of coined a phrase, I call it stupid dad ads. Uh, you, they're all they're ubiquitous, they're everywhere. Like I think of a Capital One ad where a father takes his family to go skiing in the middle of the summer out in Colorado. It's the middle of the summer, they're not at the highest elevations, there's, there's no snow. And the, the, the commercial shows one of the sons skiing down this alley, the slope, and he just runs into a rock and he looks with disgust on his face at the camera and says, what's in your wallet? I think of more recently a Geico commercial where a father, uh, instead of a puppy, he gives a possum to his kids for a birthday present, wanting to save some money. Think of the movie National Lampoon's Vacation where Clark Griswold takes his family on a long drive all the way from Illinois out west to Wally World only to discover that the theme park has closed. Notice the theme of those portrayals. Dim-witted dads with their tight-wad tendencies making really foolish decisions. How are dads portrayed in our society? Father's Day doesn't seem to be as big a deal as Mother's Day. Dads are portrayed in a sort of a dim-witted way. And today, as we celebrate, if you will, Father's Day, I want to challenge and encourage, but also extend grace on this day because we need it. Do you need it today? I, I think we do. I want to issue a challenge. When it comes to the word dad, just the word itself, I, I've, I've preached this before, but just the word dad is a tender word. It's a word that is very unique in the English language. It's a word that separates people, if you will. So for some, um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a lovely thing, but for others, it's a hard thing. All I've known my life, vocationally, professionally, has been ministry. I did campus ministry for some 12 years, 13 years, and then I pastored in two churches for a long, long time, 18 plus years. And in my role of discipleship, of mentoring, of counseling, as I have received from the Lord and mentoring from others, I've been able to give back. I've been able to sit down and listen to people. Uh, in fact, a friend reminded me today that a counselor friend of his has said, I think very poignantly, that you can tell when a man in particular starts to grow because he starts to talk about his dad. And in many ways, he's dealing with his dad, whatever that may be. There's a, there's a gambit here, but to focus in on a few words, when we think of dad, I've heard this in my time of being with people and doing counseling, but for, for dad, it could be, the word could be bitterness, or it could be loneliness, or, thank God, it could be fondness. For bitterness, that sentiment is, at its worst, is I hate. For loneliness, that sentiment could be I wish. I wish my dad was still here. I wish we could have gotten more time. I wish me or my father had known sooner the error of our ways and we could have corrected things earlier. Bitterness, loneliness, or, thank God, fondness. There's a man, and I love him. Today, I want to talk to us. In particular, I want to issue a challenge to men and those who are counting on men. You know, our world is counting on men. 
counting on us to lead. You know, at Fondren, we teach wholeheartedly and unilaterally that men and women have the same, uh, they have the same merit and value and worth in God's eyes. Galatians 3.28 tells us so, and it's just true. But I think there's something about our world and our society where it's just aching for men. I was at a newsstand this week and saw Us Weekly. I didn't buy it. I didn't even, in fact, read it. I just skimmed the cover, and it seemed to be a portrayal of maybe some positive dads on, on television, some of the top dads, and dads that we see their virtue, and they have garnered some level of respect. But the trouble, you know, with TV dads is just that. They're TV dads. There's a script. They're cameras. They're actors. I believe there is a natural longing. In fact, I would call it a universal ache for real life dads. Since we're bringing church online yet once again, and for a few more weeks, since the the congregation, the church itself is empty, I'm thinking of men that I know in particular. I'm thinking of some of our ministers here who are dads. I'm thinking of Van Harden and John Wood and Daniel Hicks, who's up in the balcony. I'm thinking of the two guys who were here on the stage teaching in tandem last week, Nick Crawford and Daniel Wagner. I'm thinking of guys like John Pitts and John Lasseter, Austin Brown and Austin Moore, some young guys who have children. I think of a friend of mine at Fondren Church named Wesley Mockby. When I was doing a wedding a few weeks ago, I saw Wesley with his two children right across the lake from the wedding the outdoor venue Wesley had his two little children and they were fishing in that lake I'm thinking of these guys I hope you're with your families today I hope you're listening I'm talking to dads I'm talking to these men and the men like them we are so blessed with young ministers young men in our church who have young children so today I want to go to a letter a letter that's sort of tucked away in the back almost the back of the New Testament first Thessalonians chapter 2 and I want us to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. If you have a Bible, you can scramble to get it. In just a second, we'll have it on the screen. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 to 12. And then I want to draw out five things. I want to challenge our dads to live these five things. Let's take a look now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses, God, also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father, there we go, with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and into his glory. I want to draw out, as I said, five things from this great passage. Now, this isn't Paul saying, hey, let's have a dad seminar. This is Paul saying we need mentors, we need disciples, we need leadership. But look at these five things. The first one, Uh, that I want to give you is desire and affection. In fact, in verse 8, he says, we are affectionate. We are desirous of you. We want to be 
with you. That's how I feel in a temporary season of quarantine. That's how, uh, that's what's happening in this pastor heart of mine. When you love someone, when you love a group of people, when you love someone in particular, you're desirous of them and you want to be with them. And there is affection involved. Show of hands if you're watching with your family, roommates, friends, even if you're alone, it'll be weird, but just raise your hand if you're a naturally affectionate person. How many of you, it's kind of the inclination of your behavior. It's in your DNA. It's a part of your personality. You like a hug or a handshake or a chest bump or a kiss. You like some affection. How many of you are hesitant for that? It's a, it's a struggle and somewhat awkward. I want to ask that second group of you that raised your hands in love. I just want to say, get over it. Listen, it's important when you're desirous and affectionate. Now, again, Paul here goes to the mother. He relates that to the mothers. Later, as you saw in verse 11 and 12, he talks about the fathers. I emphasize that with the voice inflection. But the fathers exhort and encourage and charge. But the mothers, there's this fond affection. But notice in context what he's saying. He's saying this is the way we are. He's taken what we see, society then and now, seems as more a feminine quality and says it needs to be a part of all of our lives. So dads, how we doing? Almost 22 years ago when our firstborn was born, I'll never forget being in South Miami Hospital. And when we put him in the car, Susan had never held her own baby either, but this was my first, but she was more natural doing that. As a mother, it just comes that way. And I was a little bit clumsy, but I was careful and meticulous, and I was so tender holding my firstborn son. And I remember when we put him in the car to drive a short drive on U.S. Highway 1 between South Miami to our home in Coral Gables. Now, I love Miami. One of the things I love about Miami is it's beautiful and it's diverse, and it's beautiful because it is diverse. But I don't know if you've been to Miami or driven in Miami. Uh, one writer says that everybody in Miami drives according to the laws, just according to the laws of their country of origin. Well, I put my little guy, my firstborn son, in the back of the car and took him home, and I was careful. I did everything Susan told me. I operated with some level of good instinct, but I was careful, and I was affectionate. That's every dad that I've met. How do you hold this thing, and you, you want to be so, so desirous to be with them and to care for them, but here's what happens. You know this. Years pass, and affection fades. Life passes by, work increases, pressure mounts, and we lose sight of that affection. I want to say to you dads, it's important to be desirous and to be affectionate with your sons. One of the most famous stories that Jesus told, he told a lot of good ones, recorded for us by Luke the physician in the 15th chapter. It's a trifecta of stories. Uh, some of you know this. He talks about a lost coin, and then he builds to a lost sheep, and then the crescendo has more emotion. He tells a story of a lost son, a son who turned his face from his father after he took his dad's inheritance, and he went to a distant country. And the scripture tells us very specifically that he wasted his life away through wild living. A story of a lot of us, huh? He wasted his life in wild living. But the Bible gives one of the most simple but beautiful phrases uh, of all. It says that he came to his senses. 
How important is that spiritually for you and I? I can think of a few moments in my own life where I came to my senses. It was not just a wake-up call, it was a shake-up call. And it pointed me in the right direction. And this son, who had rebelled against his father, most of you know this story, he came to his senses and he said, I'm gonna use a little bit of my imagination here, he said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna return to my father. My imagination, I could be wrong, but I, I kind of think that this guy knew his dad. Dads can be predictable. How many of you have a predictable father? You can almost tell what his response is going to be. And I think this guy was predicting, because his dad was a good man, that he would receive him back. But he began to rehearse his speech, I believe. And he, he rehearsed his speech and thought when he would return to his father, his dad might accept him in, but not as a son, so he, he envisioned that he would offer himself back to his father, learning hard knocks, learning valuable lessons, but he would say, I'll be a hired servant. I am not worthy to be your son. And you know the story, the father, Jesus tells this story. The father sees the son from a distance and scanning the horizon, he sees him and he runs to him. He leaves his dignity behind because his son is out there. He runs to him, he throws his arms around him and he gives him a kiss. No hesitation, no inquisition, no probation, celebration with affection. I remember several years back, a NFL linebacker named Ray Lewis, he was being inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. And Ray's story is one of a lot of trouble, a lot of tragedy, and potentially a, a big charge that could have sent him to prison for a long time, if not a lifetime. Ray grew up in a South Florida home where he didn't have, not only did he not have a dad, he had many men passing through his home and some of them apparently were abusive emotionally, verbally, and physically to his mama. And Ray lived so much of his young life with a chip on his shoulder, raging against others, daring people to knock that chip off of his shoulder. Ray Lewis became a dad. Ray Lewis cared for his children. When he's being inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame, he tells this very story of his sons, and they were in the audience, and he tells about his sons how as they grew up, he did not stop hugging them and kissing them. Now, Ray Lewis violated a preacher rule. Ray's not really a preacher, but he violated a preacher rule. I could have told him better. As your kids get older, you have to get their permission before you use them in a sermon illustration. And as the cameras panned to the crowd and they captured Ray Lewis's sons, Ray telling them about how he hugs and kisses them, they had a reaction of embarrassment. But deep down, I'm telling you, these young men wouldn't trade that for the world. To be desirous and to be affectionate. For some of you fathers who could be my age or give or take a few years, maybe even older, you may have made a lot of mistakes in this area. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about God being a heavenly father and likens him to the earthly father or compares and contrasts him with earthly fathers. And there's this little phrase in Hebrews 12 that says, our earthly dads as best they knew how. That parenthetical phrase in Hebrews 12 I think just exudes grace and I hope some of you will receive that today you've lost time you made mistakes you weren't desirous to be with your children and you missed some big moments let God be gracious to you as we challenge young dads who still have tons of opportunities in front of them and future dads the world is waiting for you
So the first thing I want to give you that I have given you from 1 Thessalonians 2 is desire and affection. So the second thing that I want to give to you is openness and honesty. Also in verse 8, Paul says this, and I love this. He says that we didn't just share the gospel with you, but we shared our own lives. Dads, men, talk to your family. Tell them that God loves them. Tell them and share with them the good news of the gospel. We say we borrowed these phrases, but they're so beautiful. Tell, tell your children. Talk to your family about what the gospel means, that everybody is welcome, that, that nobody's perfect, and that anything is possible. Tell them that the gospel is good news, that they have nothing to run from, they have nothing to hide, they have nothing to prove. They are loved and forgiven. Tell them the gospel and its good news. Speak those words, but do not forget to share your life with them. Not that long ago, I spoke to my oldest son, he was shirtless in the kitchen. Pretty impressive, actually. I kept my shirt on, but we had a father-son conversation. And I remember a few years back when I was going through a real leadership pain. He had walked into the bedroom one night. It was after midnight, and Dad wasn't home. I was in a meeting here. And he looked at Susan, my wife, his mother, and he said, Dad's got something going on, doesn't he? I think Susan's response was pray for him. Things are heavy and weighing on him. Years had passed, but I took an opportunity not too long ago to talk to my son about what was happening, what did happen in my life, and how it affected me. I kept confidences that I needed to, but this son of mine has become a vice president at his college in his, in his fraternity. He's learning what it means to be a leader, and I want to share lessons that I have learned. And let me say this, share Share from the pain of your life. Share from the experiences that you have had. You are molding and shaping and forming young lives who are future leaders and leaders right now. Talk to them about your life. They're watching us and they're listening to us. So share the gospel and share your life. You're shaping them in their finances. You're shaping them in how they deal with pain and loss and betrayal and stress. You're shaping how you treat women in this world. And more recently, a lot of the conversations, sometimes shirtless in the kitchen with me and my boys, it's been about race and racial injustice. We've had some very deep conversations, and I want to share my, at times, ignorance, my sin, areas where I need to repent and grow. So we see five things here. The first is what? The first is desire and affection. The second is openness and honesty. The third is work and discipline. Paul says here, in verse 9, he says that we worked day and night, we labored, and we toiled. Us Weekly, one of their top 10 TV dads of all time, they said, was Homer Simpson. He's in the top 10. Homer Simpson once said this. Take a look on the screen. Son, if you really want something in life, you have to work for it. Now, quiet. They're about to announce the lottery numbers. Homer Simpson gives us a little bit of wisdom, right, on work and discipline. Somebody else actually can do it better. A, Senate, a former Senate chaplain named Richard Halverson put it this way. Take a look at the screen. He said this in a little pamphlet, not a book, but a pamphlet called Perspective. He speaks to men and many of the men the burden that they, that they carry. Take a look at this. To the faithful men who with silent heroism under relentless pressure fight the economic battle as stewards of the living God. 
Keep that on the screen for an extra moment just for pause and for thought and perspective. In no way am I suggesting that men are the breadwinners or men are in any way superior, that women uh, aren't leaders. But I am saying and speaking to so many who know the pain of bearing a weight. And so many, so many do it with what this writer calls a silent heroism. This great weight of financial provision. This great weight of hard work. Homer Simpson missed it, but Richard Halverson got it right. And there is this work and this labor and this toil. I pray for my own kids. I'm sure you do yours as well. Let's join together in being more proactive with this, that our young people would find work that they could pour their heart into. Remember what we preached not too long ago when we did Colossians? Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Our kids are watching us, and they need to see dedication and diligence to a job, to, to, to work, to work hard. And that is what we see in this. So of the five, we've, we've talked about three. We've talked about desire and affection, about openness and honesty, about work and discipline. And now the fourth thing is walk and talk. Let's just call it walk and talk. You see in verse nine and 10, Paul says, we proclaim and then we conduct ourselves. How important is that we proclaim this good news of the gospel. We're talking about God and the change that he brings in our lives. We're talking about God and how great he is, but we're also behaving or conducting ourselves in a certain way. Do both, dads. Men, our world needs us to do this. One of the really cool things that I've been hearing from a handful of you, not a lot, but a handful of you, have meaningfully reached out to me to tell me about church at home. Many of you I know are partially dressed or fully naked watching church, but some of you are with your family. Some of you are worshiping together as Lauren and the team so wonderfully lead us. You're right there singing along, and some of you are taking notes and engaging and turning in your Bible. You're engaging with us in this. But some of the dads have said, it's been the first time we prayed as a family. It's given me some accountability to gather our family around and take part together. Men, I want to give you a challenge to work, those of you who are married, to work with your spouse, to love and affirm them and work together to even lead in family devotions. How intimidating did that idea just sound? What a connection, what a call. Many people walk away from faith or a faith is never deeply embedded in them. It's not rooted and strengthened and established in them if they don't see a connection between, between church and home life. I remember being a young teenager, and for several years, my family and I, we started attending a church that was pastored by my uncle. In fact, my Uncle Ben. My Uncle Ben was a good man, pretty, pretty good preacher as well. But Uncle Ben and Aunt Gwen, they had a few kids, and their son, Steve, was my first cousin. And he, for several years, was like a brother to me. I would be over there, and I would spend the night many times. And I remember they would do family devotions. I remember being weirded out about that, that the Bible would be open, the family would gather around, and they would read a scripture and they would pray. I remember being weirded out about that, but also remember in my younger, smaller body and soul, I remember being drawn to that. I remember having that ache of seeing a connection between church and home. 
A friend of mine here in Fondren leading his family, he says that they've started something new, he and his wife, that they have started four days a week for five minutes in the morning. They read from the Bible and he says a prayer or calls on someone else to say a prayer, a small step, but something that can be huge. We, we proclaimed and we conducted ourselves. Hey, we're in this weird season that we all know. And in four or five weeks, we will regather at Fondren Church. And we hope you're coming back. We hope you're inviting people. And we want to challenge you already. We'll talk about this later. But we want to challenge you to make church a priority in your life. Men especially. I want to, I want to give you this exhortation. Make church a priority. Make a renewed com- commitment. If you were slacking before COVID, hey, come out of this season stronger. One of the questions I've been asked through the years is, as, our, as people's children have gotten older, they can bring their kids to church quite easily when they're younger, but when they become teenagers and they start driving and have those freedoms, many a parent has asked me, hey, should we make our children come to church? I, I answer that question by asking another question. Should you make your children go to school? Susan and I, we extend grace to our kids, maybe in some ways because uh, we work at a church. We extend grace here and there with our kids, but we make it a priority. And what we've done is with our kids, we've only had to do it once or twice with each of them, but they will ask us, hey, can I skip church tomorrow? And we'll say, hey, we're good with that, but you won't be able to go out next Saturday night. And then when we follow through with the, pro- with the promised consequence, it's very effective. We proclaim and we conduct ourselves in this way. Lastly, the fifth thing that I want to give you, remember what we've talked about. We've talked about desire and affection. We've talked about openness and honesty. We've talked about work and discipline. We've talked about walk and talk. And the last thing that I want to talk to you about, dads in particular, the fifth thing is what I want to just simply call yes and no. A writer by the name of Pat Morley, a successful Orlando businessman and community activist, he wrote a book called Man in the Mirror. I read it right before I got married, and I'm glad I did. And he said this, he said, he gives this parenting advice. And Susan, I've tried to be good on this. He said, your kids really need to know a couple of things and lead this way. Let everything, just infuse your parenting with these two ideas. Yes, I love you unconditionally. And no, you can't have your way. You see that? Yes, I love you unconditionally. And no, you can't have your way. How important is this? Every young life, every life that's going to come to be needs to be formed, needs to be shaped. It's kind of a famous verse, a verse that's been used as a tool and a, a bully in some ways, but in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, it says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The idea there is that every life that comes into this world needs discipline, needs correction, and needs instruction. Consider what Proverbs 19.3 says. It says that a person of folly can ruin their life, yet their heart rages against the Lord. In other words, that foolishness and that folly that's bound up in us, if it doesn't receive discipline, correction, and instruction, it could ruin its life. But yet, often that heart rages. It's, it's like what I mentioned earlier. It's like it's too many men. Listen to me for a moment. It's like way too many men 
who have folly bound up in them, who haven't received discipline, instruction, and correction in their life. And they walk around with that chip on their shoulder, daring someone to knock it off. A man that I know and love, who spent a few years in counseling. I hope you guys go and get help. And this man dealt with his dad later in his own adult life. And he talks about it wasn't good at home that quoting again from the bible that the folly that was in his heart that he was a person of folly and it could have led to his ruin but he gets dropped off at a younger age he gets dropped off at an army enlistment office and my friend i've seen god work in this man's life extend grace in deep places for him and i have seen him uh, seen his life and i've heard him tell me one time in particular he talked about going to the army as a young man and how this ferocious drill sergeant would turn on the lights in his barrack at 5 a.m and lean over and say stuff and maybe even a few cuss words of stuff and telling him to get his lazy up and put on his boots soldier and we're going for a five mile run before breakfast and my friend says this was the very correction and discipline and instruction that he needed that this man and this army and this group of people helped with God, partnered with God to knock the folly out of his life and to grow him up. It's what we need. And Paul says, verse 11, I'm like a father to you. Verse 12, we give exhortation, we give encouragement, we give you a charge. Five things from this passage to you men and the people that count on men. To dads, desire and affection, openness and honesty, work and discipline, walk and talk, and yes and no. Our kids need us to say, yes, I love you unconditionally, and we demonstrate that. But also, no, you can't have your own way. Next week, if this sermon has been heavy for some of you because of the pain, because of the regret in your life, I want to share with you, we're going to start a new series, more details on it later, but next week we're going to talk about this idea that nobody is beyond hope, that it's never too late. Somebody I know, maybe more than a few, need to hear that today. But back to what I was saying at the beginning, I'm talking about you young dads, with young kids. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray thinking, mindful as we talk to dads and about dads, considering our earthly father to close praying to our heavenly father. Lauren and the team in a moment are going to come up and lead us as we sing about God's son, about our Christ. But allow me, allow me to pray for us. Of these five things, what's something that God has stirred up in you? We invite everybody to pray for our dads. Would you join me now? Father, we do. We lift up. We lift up to you, your word. We lift up to you this universal ache this universal ache for real-life dads. 
And in a culture where Father's Day is complicated, where Father's Day doesn't seem to be as warm and fluffy and meaningful as Mother's Day, when there are depictions of dads who are dim-witted and tight-wadded and who make foolish decisions, when so many, the word for dad, the relationship there is bitterness I hate or loneliness I wish. God, I pray that the growth and the trajectory and the future would include the word fondness, that here is a man that I love. So what would that take, God? What would it take for everyone watching this today? What forgiveness needs to be extended? What, what truths need to be made part of daily living? God, I pray for a world where men in particular would love and lead in a gentle way, in a God-honoring way that would, we could shape young lives. Yes, I love you unconditionally. No, you can't have on your own way. That there would be, there would be more discipline and correction and instruction, more exhortation, encouragement and challenge. And we, we crave it and we need it. And Lord, for those who are raging with a chip on their shoulder, with folly bound up in their hearts, who are causing pain, Lord, may your grace be made known. May your gospel go forth. God, I thank you for the tenderness that you give to us. I'm a dad who needs it. I'm a man who needs it. All need it. Thank you that you give it. In Christ we pray. Amen.